You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game podcast. I'm your host, Robert Smith. Today's guest is absolutely no stranger to agricultural affairs. She's a past chair of the IFE board and currently serves as the CEO of the Erie County Fair in New York. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Jessica Underberg. Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me. So I'm not sure there's many people left in our industry who don't know exactly who you are, but for my nine listeners, give us some background on how you became involved with agricultural affairs and how you ended up as CEO in, in Erie County. I uh, just really, I grew up showing livestock um, at the Erie County Fair. I was in 4-H, you know, I made my prom dresses and baked the three cookies on a plate and all that stuff. And for, for me, as a kid growing up on a dairy farm, the fair was our Disney. We did not vacation, you know, in fact, still to this day, my parents and our family has not taken a vacation together, um, but we got to come to the fair 12 days every year, and, and it was awesome. So when I had the opportunity to start part-time through college working at the fair, it was like a dream come true. Um, and then in 2010, I was named the assistant manager and CEO in 2017, and really kind of have worked in all departments all throughout the grounds. So have you only ever been with the Erie County Fair? Yes, never have been with another fair. I did spend a little bit of time in Connecticut with my husband and worked at the Yale School of Management, which was also a great experience, but it was short-lived. Came back to the fair. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about the Erie County Fair. When does it run? What's your typical attendance look like? That kind of thing. Sure. We are 12 days in August here in Hamburg. Uh, the 2021 fair dates are August 11th through the 22nd. We typically draw in about a million people over those 12 days. A um, little bit different things about our fairgrounds is we have a casino on our property. We harness race on our property. We have a really strong commitment to agriculture education where in a typical year, we would have farm to table field trips where we bring kids in and teach them where their food comes from. It's so important. I, you know, my, my wife's an assistant principal and back when she was in the classroom, you know, she would do some lessons, um, and kids, where's your bacon come from? Walmart. Mm -hmm. There's a yep. disconnect between our farms and our tables. And, uh, I know fairs do, you know, a heck of a job in trying to bridge that disconnect. It just seems like every year the feels almost feels like the progress you made, you've got to do it over. We're almost to the point where when we were, when I was a kid, I grew up on a dairy farm. Um, you know, most of my friends did not grow up on a farm, but their grandparents, aunts, or uncles might have. We're to the point where we need to educate the adults, not just the kids. For sure. You know, we're that far apart. Yeah. So if a new family uh, to your area wanted to come to the Erie County Fair and they called you up and said, what do we do with the fair? What does a good fair experience look like for a new family in your area? I think the first thing that I would tell them is if they came to the fair before 11 o'clock, the admission during a weekday is $5. So they get in relatively inexpensive. Um, I would send them directly to the Agricultural Discovery Center, which is a 60,000 square foot facility just built to educate people about agriculture. So that's where they can see a calf being born, um, sow and piglets, they can see the grape harvester, um, all kinds of hands-on fun things. I would definitely send them to the barns to see the 4-H kids, you know, um, and hear their stories. I think I would send them over to the circus to make sure they get to see a circus show and ride the double Ferris wheel, and then definitely send them for a deep fried taco. 
Yeah, I was going to ask what kind of food is, <laughs> what is it in Erie County that's like, that's the food you have to have. And you're all about the deep fried taco. The deep fried taco is something that's kind of new for the last five or six years. The real staple of the fairgrounds is barbecue chicken, which is probably a little bit different than most people are used to. It's a vinegar based barbecue sauce. So it's not a red thick sauce that most people are used to. And halves of chicken are grilled on the grill. And we have a couple vendors, three actually, that do that. And that's all that they do. Um, so between that, elephant ears or fried dough and uh, deep fried tacos, I say that's, that's the top three. Awesome. Now, do you guys only produce the fair or do you produce other events on the grounds? No, we actually run out our facilities a lot like other fairgrounds, um, but we produce a festival of lights event at Christmas time, which typically in a normal year would be um, drive through the festival or the, the two mile route to see the light displays and then park your car and get out and see Santa and ride the train and see some reindeer and things like that. Um, this year it'll be a drive through only, uh, but we do produce three livestock shows and two um, agricultural trade shows as well, which is a little different than most fairs. But our livestock team here is dedicated to making sure that kids have an opportunity outside just those 12 days. So you guys are definitely, a, a, you're generating revenue on that grounds year round. Absolutely. We are a year round facility. Like I said, we, our casinos open 365 days a year. We race January through July with the harness racing. Um, we're booked and busy all year round. Excellent. So, you know, we were talking about agricultural education and, you know, even the need to educate the adults. And I get the feeling um, from seeing fairs from my perspective as an entertainer traveling all across the country, seeing, you know, a dozen more or more fairgrounds a year. There's a lot of people who attend our fairs who they see an event that is five or 10 or 15 days, and then that's it. They don't see the magnitude of support and impact that a fairgrounds has on the community. Um, what role do you see Erie County's fairgrounds having and what impact do they have on the community at large? So outside of the traditional fair dates, we do graduations for high schools. We do um, training for the firemen. We have, we allow the local ambulance company to train practice driving ambulances on the property. But during the fair, when you think about opening day, we usually collect between 40 and 50,000 pounds of food for our food bank. Um, and, you know, without a fair, you don't have that collection point. And all of the uh, charities that collect money, and I believe that number was between seventy dollars and $80,000 last year, that, you know, spin the wheel for a dollar to win a prize type of thing. All of that is because of the fair. Yeah. And obviously, all of that changed earlier this year. Um, I remember, you know, January, February time, it seemed like people weren't sure about what was going to happen with this virus. Then March 11th hits, which is the day World Health declares the pandemic. And I think for us in the industry, the day we had an eye opener when Houston canceled just days into their run. Um, can you describe what it was like for you when you realized Houston, a show that big had canceled? I think it was, like you said, it was eye opening. It was scary. I remember sitting, uh, I went to the NICA meeting in February in Tampa and sitting and talking with our carnival provider. And he asked me, you know, do you see this impacting you? And I'm like, no, not really. And obviously, I thought I was wrong. Right. Um, you know, I see Houston cancel. And it's like, wow, that is a big event for that city, for that state, for this industry. And then obviously, um, following up with Miami-Dade and knowing what the heartache that those folks went through, 
Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, you guys being in August, you had, at least at that point, it seemed like you had time on your side. For so many of those fairs in Florida, some had already started and, and Miami was what, like 30 minutes from literally opening their gates and the state came in and shut them down. Yeah. Do you think um, that lead time for you guys from March on um, was a, a benefit to you, even though you'd eventually cancel, were you guys able to adjust contracts or, or, or had money marketing dollars and all that already been spent for you guys? So I think it helped us somewhat. Um, it definitely bought us some time because we could sit back and see what was unfolding. It was tough because we're in that limbo of, are we canceling or are we not? Are things going to turn around or are they not? I think in some cases it would be easier if somebody just walked in and said, you're canceling or they, rather than sit there and do that dance. But, you know, I remember I got a call from our temporary landscaping person in February and he said, are you going to have a fair? And I'm like, gosh, I hope so. He goes, I need to know this week because I'm going to order mums. And, you know, our, our local greenhouse that we work with for our year round landscaping started asking me about, we need to order plant material. What are you doing? And then we held off on our marketing campaign. We had already had it designed and ready to go, but we didn't unroll it. And I think a benefit to us is that we were literally ready to announce our grandstand lineup and go on sale. And as things are unfolding, we just said, you know what, just hold off on that for right now. And in hindsight, that was a great, great move. You know, we didn't have to refund tickets and go through that, sure. um, that challenge. But, you know, I remember at one point in the in, at time, probably in April, sitting in my office and a coworker came in, our legal counsel, and I said, are, are we gonna cancel? And I just can't see that yet. Is my passion and commitment and drive getting in the way of seeing the bigger picture? And he said, no, I don't think so. And I'm like, I think I just answered my own question. I, I think deep down, I know, I kind of knew we were going to cancel, but didn't want to believe that. Yeah. And despite holding out hope, I mean, eventually there comes a point where um, you did cancel. And was that a decision that was made by you and the board? Or is that something that came down from your governor's office? It's something that the board and I started talking about. And going back to your previous question too, with the time, it allowed me to have conversations with other fair folks, with our partners, whether it's Carnival or food vendors or whoever, about where they see things going. So you kind of collect all that data. And then I would share that with our board, you know, saying, look, here's the next set of fares that canceled. I actually took the top 50 fares list and put it into a spreadsheet by date and started writing next to it when they canceled and just pass that on to our board so that they saw the bigger picture as well. Um, but ultimately the decision was voted on by the board. Um, but we had talked through it many, many times. And then that happened. That decision was formally made on May 27th. On July 8th, the New York State governor canceled all county fairs, which there were only two left that did not cancel by that point. Got it. So you're sitting in that board, you know, emotions made, it, it passes to cancel. It put us in the room, like with you guys, what's the feeling in the room when you really, it's done. Like the decision's been made. So the strangest thing to start off with is it, it was done via zoom because we were, every business was shut down. 
non-essential services, non-essential businesses were closed, our staff's working from home, we're trying to keep them connected. Um, so we started having our board meetings via Zoom, which if you would have told me two years ago that our board would sit down and look at a computer screen and conduct our business that way, I would have said, no way, but they did it. And um, I'm glad for the platform to be able to do that. It, but it was hard. You know, you think about a hundred years from now, they're going to be talking about this fair board and this decision and the pandemic and, you know, the things that we talked about and the things we went through. I thought that I was prepared for that decision because I had gotten there myself, um, but I wasn't. And I thought our staff was prepared for the decision and they weren't, you know, it is emotional. As you know, it's something you work all year for and to know that that's not going to happen is tough. And I think, you know, for me, I remember telling somebody, I said, I feel like I am watching a good friend pass away. And, you know, there are days where you sat there and you'd go, you know what, maybe if this happens and that happens, we might be able to do this. And then the next day something happens and you're like, oh, I'm just fooling myself. Why did I think that? You know, it's like, like I said, watching a friend and you, they have good days and then they have bad days. And you're like, you know, the inevitable is coming. Right. But you just, on the good days, you don't want to believe it. And the bad days, you're kicking yourself for even thinking that it was possible. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I interviewed Linnell Smith for this season from the Sydney Royal Easter show, um, she said something that really hit me different. She uh, said she's approached this as a grieving process. And that just hit different for me because that's it, all of a sudden it, there was some clarity to what I'd been feeling for this year. I mean, clearly as entertainers, we don't put any near anywhere near the work into an, an affair the way you all do, but we do put a lot of work into our businesses and into our products and delivering a good product for your guests. And all of a sudden there was some clarity that that is what I've been feeling. This is grief. Um, and as I stepped back and I looked at the broader picture at, at how Americans reacted to it, you know, from the rebellious kind of, we're not wearing masks. This is stupid. And I'm like, Oh, that's the denial part. And all of a sudden you see it at scale that this is the whole country is grieving the loss of what, of what we experienced as our lives as Americans and everybody, you know, it was, my wife's an assistant principal at a school here in Albuquerque. And she kept getting told she could hear from the district, you know, we're all in the same boat. And then somebody finally spoke up and said, no, we're all in the same storm, but we're all in very different boats, you know, yeah. and a large ship is going to handle this a lot differently than a little fishing boat. And it's a good example. Yeah. So how do you, what do you think about that as a grieving process? Would you, do you think that's actually, 100% on the money. I, anybody that I spoke with after we canceled who called and said, okay, how did you do it? What'd you do? You know, my recommendation and even my recommendation to the IFE staff after they canceled convention, because that's their fair, was make your announcement, do your quick work that you know you have to do, and then go grab some pizza and, and some beers and mourn what you lost we didn't get that opportunity here because we weren't allowed to be together right. um, because of the gathering limits. And I wish that we would have been able to do that. We didn't have a way to finalize. We didn't have our funeral. 
we didn't have a way to put it to bed. And everybody kind of wandered around and dealt with it on their own, where I think if we could have come together as a staff or a staff and board, um, volunteers, whatever, to be able to say, man, this stinks, you know, but let's talk about the good things. I think that would have helped us all. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, you mentioned communicating with IFE. You're a past chair of IFE. What kind of communication and planning from IFE that you're aware of um, has been going on behind the scenes to support member fairs during this crisis? So I think one of the best things about the IFE, as you know, is, is the networking, is the ability to reach out and have conversations with other fair folks. And that is one of the absolute best things I think that they could have done. They opened up the Let's Talk discussion, um, Zoom meetings and different platforms and allowed people to connect and talk through each other, through the staff at the office. So to me, that was one of the best moves that they could have made is making it an option to get together with other people who either have been through this or going through the same thing. Um, And then I know that they're working behind the scenes on legislation Um, We've all gotten the push for, hey, reach out to your senators and whatnot, um, trying to put that together for all of us. So with the the cancellation of all of your events, not just the fair, but I mean, any revenue generation, your, you know, gun shows, RV and boat shows, all that kind of thing goes away. Were you guys able to pivot in any way and kind of get creative for other means of revenue generation this year? So one of the reasons I think that the, the cancellation message was so tough on me is I knew we announced that on a Wednesday, I did a press conference on a Thursday, and I knew on Monday I had to furlough 30 staff members. Um, and that was an emotional, that's something I don't wish ever to do again, and I don't wish on anybody. That left us with just a very few core people to be able to pull anything off. Um, And with the gathering limits in New York and the strict regulations, we really haven't been able to do much. Um, And I'll give you an example. We did a youth livestock show. It couldn't be more than 50 people. and We had to take temperature checks and all that stuff when they came in. We were able to pull that off. Um, And then we wanted to do what we called blast out hunger, which is a night of fireworks. Checkerboard style, park their cars, have some popcorn and some pizza, and but please bring food a food donation for the food bank, trying to recapture what we lost at the fair for the local community. I made that announcement on a Thursday. On a Monday, I got a call from our local health department that says, I hear you want to do fireworks. And I said, yes, ma'am. And they said, no way. And I'm like, come on. And it came down to, at the end of the day, we were able to have the event, but we had to park the cars starting at eight o'clock, not seven o'clock. We had to keep people in their cars they couldn't get out and sit next to their car in the empty spot. Um, they, the food vendor, we also had to hire four security guards to make sure they stayed in their cars. And the, the food vendors could sell car to car to car. They could not, not get out of their cars and socially distance and stand in line to buy a piece of pizza. Wow. And as it turned out, it rained that night. So it, it actually kept people in their cars and we had a great night of fireworks and we collected 13,000 pounds of food for the food bank. So for that, I'm grateful. But it showed me at 9.15 when I got a call that said three health department inspectors and an Erie County Sheriff are here. Can you come talk to them? It showed me that no matter what event we were going to try to do, we were up against, we were up against the, the wall. You were going to get called into the principal's office every time you did it. Every time. Yeah. So they didn't, they didn't shut the event down, but 
I can only think that the reason that the Erie County Sheriff was there is because they thought they were going to. So we, so back to your question, sorry about that. Um, we weren't able to do many different events, but we did starting, we did start to take the um, proactive process to preserve assets, reduce expenses, um, but the New York regulations have been extremely tough. Yeah, you know, and hopefully, um, you know, looking forward by the time August of 21 rolls around, hopefully the pandemic's behind us. Um, I mean, I suppose you could have a fair that is a full fair and we're good to go. You might have some sort of modification or God forbid, you might get canceled again. We just don't know at this point. With all that uncertainty, you're still having to try and plan for 21. How right. do you do that? How do you in a, in a very, a skeleton crew at this point, plan a fair when you're still in the middle of a pandemic in 2020? I think actually 2021's fair is going to be much more tricky and challenging than the cancellation and shock of 2020. Um, part of that is because for the 2020 fair, we had already laid the groundwork. We had everything. We we're firing on all cylinders. Everything was ready to go. Now for 2021, like you said, I'm dealing with eight staff members in the office, not 20. Um, do we spend money on a marketing campaign? You know, we already we're going to announce um, shortly. We normally put a 12 day pass on sale at in December. I'm not going to do that because I don't know what it's going to be and what it's going to look like. So I think for right now, we're taking the approach that we have had some meetings about what the fair of 2021 could look like. And I'm trying very hard to focus on how, not if. Um, but the, the reality is right now, New York State's gathering limits are 50 people. We're probably not going to go from 50 people on October 28th to 100,000 people in one spot in August. So we need to realistic to think. Yeah. So now we try to plan from here to here, knowing hopefully we end up somewhere here. And for right now, I think it's just kind of in a holding pattern, keep having the conversations, but don't lock anything down because we don't know. And, and so part of me says, let's pretend that the governmental regulations say that we can have 20,000 people a day on our fairgrounds. The first thing we need to take a look at is can we financially make it at 20,000 people a day? And I'll tell you the answer to that is no. Yep. Are we willing to take a loss and to still have a fair and stay relevant within your community? And the next part of that is will our food vendors and straight sales folks and entertainers and people like that come knowing they're going to also take a loss? And then going back to my past comment, if we can only have 20,000 a day and we sell 30 or 3,000 12-day passes, I'm not sure it's a good idea to take 3,000 off that number right off the bat. You know, so I think we will be selling tickets on a reservation system because I'm sure we're sure. going to have a limitation. So, you know, my mind spins in a lot of different directions thinking about what it could look like. But I think, and I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago with some other New York fair folks, I think 2021 is going to, and we're already seeing this, we are going to be in a situation where some people or some fairs are able to operate and run. And some fairs and events are not. And they're going to make that choice based on the financial impacts. For instance, if, if, I, if the Erie County Fair gets a, just a for instance, 
20,000 people a day and the Erie County Ag Society Board of Directors says, we're willing to run the event knowing we can take a loss. This is what rainy day funds are for. The smaller county fairs around us likely, and I can't speak for them, likely don't have that kind of funding built up. Correct. So if they then cancel, the community is not going to take that well because why can the larger fair run and you cannot? And we're seeing that with events in Texas right now where it becomes a numbers game. If I, you know, I have said to our staff, you, we have to make wise short-term decisions to make sure we do have a long-term. And if these fairs make a decision to run, it may mean if they lose money again, they're not in existence down the road. Yep, they're done. So they need to preserve in some cases what they have. Yeah. Yep. And I've, I've I spoken think 2021 is going to get very interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I spoke with several um, fair managers that are those smaller county fairs um, in Texas. And there's a few that I spoke with in Arizona and Florida. And they, the unanimous, uh, you know, approach here, the decision on this is they can afford a cancellation in 2020 if they take a loss, even a loss, if they run and take a loss or if, or if they were canceled in 21, they're done. And that's, um, you know, when I, I think about that as an entertainer, I think about the changing landscape of what it entertainment's going to look like for fairs for the next probably 18 to 36 months or so. And, you know, I think there's a feeling among entertainers that, well, if we can just get the pandemic under control, then we'll be good to go. And that's just the first step because so many fairs like yours are dependent on sponsors and, and supporters. Yep. What happens when you have, you know, your sponsor that gave you $25,000 can only afford to give you 10 now. And your sponsor that mm -hmm. gave you five is out of business. That's a yep. lot of money. And I think from an entertainer's, entertainer's perspective, I'm looking at how much value I can bring to a fair moving forward. And in different ways I can bring value because my gut feeling is, you know, the fair that, you know, had a hundred thousand dollar entertainment budget may have a $40,000 entertainment budget yep. now. So there's going to be yep. a much, much smaller bandwidth for entertainers to operate in. And I think it's contingent upon us to figure out what ways we can do more than just say, you know, I do a fortune machine. I do a, a, a game, an agricultural game and activity exhibit. It, there's got to be more than that. What, from a, a fair manager's perspective, what do you think entertainers and other service members can do um, to provide more value to fairs at this point? I think the flexibility and the, um, broad, like you said, uh, if I can bring in the racing pigs person, for example, and pay them X amount of money, gosh, it'd be really great if he could do something else as well. Um, I think just having that, that knowledge, Robert, helps fairs in general. And if there was a way that we could tell that message to our constituents, I think that would be helpful. Because people, just going back to an earlier comment, think you're only here for 12 days they also then take your gate admission and multiply it by your attendance and say, you're making millions of dollars. They're not looking at the bigger picture. Yes. And so how do you present a fair that maybe is scaled down without cheapening your product and making people think, well, now the fair has gone down the tubes. Right. Um, and that's up to all of us to step up to the plate and offer something really creative and really great and have a wide variety and flexibility. That's exactly what Linnell was talking about when I, I spoke with her. Their concern moving into 21 and for a year or two forward is, I guess they're getting limited to, I forget how she said the percentages were breaking down, but you know they get about 
just under a million, 950, 980,000. But the limits, I think she said, it might've been 50,000 a day is what they're going to limit them to. To what she said, 50,000 a day is an idle Tuesday here. How do we, with that kind of reduction and then therefore that kind of reduction in budget, how do we still deliver the product without damaging our brand? And I think it starts with your messaging. I, I think if you are straightforward with your audience, with your, your consumers in your area and say, listen, we have all been beaten silly. Um, this is what the fair is going to look like for this year. And, but we will come back to what, you know, what you're used to. And maybe you do promotions where, you know, if you, you buy a season pass or you buy a ride van for this year, we're going to give you free admission for next year where, you know, something where just be straightforward. Cause I think consumers are getting really wise. And I think they sniff, especially in, yeah. a, in, a, in an election year, they sniff bullshit mm -hmm. really easily. And I think really quick, straightforward with them and say, listen, we got beat up. You got beat up. Let's have a, a, par a scale down party and celebrate it. And you're straightforward. I think if you do it, if the messaging is correct, your consumers will reward you. I, I really yeah. think. Yeah, I think. I've heard everything from discussions with fairs that said, if we're limited to a certain number, do we extend our dates to accommodate, you know, like in the Linnell situation, if she's only allowed 50 people or 50,000 people a day at the end of 10 days, she still has 400,000 people that would love to come to the fair. Yeah. Do you go to 18 you know, days or something like that? Right. And I've also heard people talk about um, if it's a reservation system, do you upcharge the weekends and lower your admission price during the weekdays to encourage more people to come on the weekdays, knowing that the weekends is when everybody wants to come to try to balance out the attendance. Um, but I think there's, there's going to be some really great and creative things that come out of this, unfortunately. Um, you know, what is it? The creativity is a necessity, you know, there's a saying about that. But it is going to force us to be get to become more creative, more flexible, and think outside of what we traditionally are. Yep. At that same time, I really do believe, I think we're gonna come back to our roots. You know, the competitions, the fabric of your community, the coming together, the tradition of the fair may be the strongest it's ever been. Yeah. You know, and I had, a, I had a long conversation with a friend where I said, gosh, I just don't see our industry ever being the same. It was in a bad place mentally, I think, and he, kind of put it into perspective for me. He said, you know, after 9-11, people were like, oh my gosh, no one's going to fly anymore. Everybody's going to be afraid to be in big groups. You know, all of the stuff that came with that awful day. It took some time. But as time went along, things came back. Yep. It came back to normal with a few things. You know, we never had TSA before. But people are still, you know, up until this, people were still flying. Right. You know, and flying in big numbers and people were still going to 70,000 seat concerts. It took time, but it will come back. And, and that was probably the best message that I had heard in a long time and, you know, made me refocus and go, okay, this is the way it is for right now. This doesn't mean this is the way it is forever. Correct. And if you even look back in history, the, you know, the H1N1 pandemic in 1918 gave way to the roaring 20s. But one yep. thing that, that's not communicated a lot about that is they wore masks for almost three years after. Right. So, and I've read a lot of articles that said that we're going to be masked, masked up and socially distant for a whole nother year. 
Yeah, you know? I think it's really possible. I think the struggle for me has been, you know, and we've all listened listened to your governor. It's been, you know, CNN's got him on all the time. We've got our governor out here in New Mexico. We've got the president. We, I, I feel like we just don't get straight answers. And because from the beginning, I think people looked at this as being very politicized. And I think that's what you get when you have a, a political atmosphere that every time you turn around, they're crying wolf. Then when the wolf actually shows up at your door, nobody believes it. I've had that conversation with many people where I, I say, you know, I've read this or I heard that. And, you know, you get to the point where you're like, I don't know what I believe anymore. Exactly. I don't know what I, but I try to say, okay, this side of the aisle says this and you take out the radical stuff and it's kind of right here. And this side of the aisle says this and you take out the radical stuff and it's kind of here. You shoot down the middle, but you still don't know what to believe. Like I said, it's very, it's a very charged, um, strange people are on edge Mm -hmm. atmosphere. And, you know, if nothing else, I'm, and I won't say I'm glad we canceled the fair because I'm not, but I don't know what a fair in this kind of atmosphere with this much face for our security folks would look like. Yep. And we, we have a very safe event, but people are just on edge for for a multitude of reasons yep and so maybe maybe it's best that we didn't have the event and something really bad happened yeah i mean there's silver linings you know Mm -hmm. all around and i think um you know the whole focus on doing this podcast we wanted to be able to share these stories and and there are stories of grief and sadness that we've all lost something that's very dear to us but I think it's really important that we don't stay there in that place of just wallowing in our own misery, that we look for those silver linings. And, and that takes an active um, focus to do that. I mean, for me, silver lining is uh, after 10 years of having a bad ankle, I had the time to finally get that done. But also on a business side, uh, you know, and moving forward to 21, I've had one fair contact me that's later in 21 that said, you know, how can you, we want to bring the fortune machine back, but how can you make it COVID safe? And I said, well, you know, we reluctantly, cause I've never, I don't like to, to do this. We're putting plexiglass in it and we'll, you know, we'll put fans invented out the top. So I stay cool on the inside. We're looking to change how the fortune cards are handed out so that it's out of literally out of a dispenser, like you get from one of the machines. So there's not a physical hand transfer of it. And then they asked me a question specifically about, could you do this? with conjure and, and I'm not going to, I don't want to reveal it on the show because right. with business, but it was an idea that at first I was like, kind of cocked my head and raised an eyebrow. Like, are you serious? <laughs> and I said, yep, I can do that. Have no idea how I've got about nine months to figure it out, but it goes back to me for me. When I first got into the industry, I had a street magic show and, you know, I've told other guests that was, it was okay. I mean, if you had a hundred magicians, I might be number 49. I may be number 51. I wasn't fabulous. I wasn't awful. And then somebody where I was at the Florida convention when the idea for conjurer was hatched and was looking for a new idea. And someone said, you should build a Zoltar machine. No one's really doing that in the industry. And I was like, that's absolute. You're out of your mind. So I look at this silver lining going, maybe this is the thing that forces me to innovate. And you never know, maybe this new version of the fortune machine is the thing that you and every other fair manager comes banging down my door to get who knows. And I think the same for fairs. Um, We had one fair manager tell us we've had for years, we've had a, well, we've always done it that way mentality. 
And this is a, you can't pull that any, the board can't pull that off anymore because the state's telling you, you have to change. It's it. And I, I hate this, but it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to take care of those sacred crowds that nobody wanted to touch before. Um, You know, it's an opportunity to do multiple things, you know, even from the most basic level, our staff finally went through all the nooks and crannies and storage areas. And we cleaned out so much stuff that we would have never had the opportunity to do. Right. And right now our staff is working on all of our archive items and we're going to, you know, log everything into a database and we'll be able to know exactly what we have and where to find it. And we never would have had that opportunity before. For sure. So you use that time and recreate yourself and get some things done that are on that long list that you never get to touch. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a great time. Um, you know, I saw one of those memes go across Facebook at one point that said, um, if you get to the end of this lockdown, if you get to the end of this crisis and you're the same person you were before it started, then you failed. Then you messed up the opportunity time that we have now to be able to do things like this. Um, like you said, whether it's literally getting the office cleaned out, or maybe you innovate and you figure out over the next year or so you go, wow, why didn't we do this at the fair before? Because, you know, maybe that's the thing that pushes you from a million to, you know, 1.2 million. And, and you never know. Um, but I think, uh, having a good positive thing is good uh, attitude is a good look for our fair family. And I think if nothing else, it will teach us not to take some things for granted. You know, I said to somebody the other day, I said, I would take a 12 day rain fair again in a heartbeat and I won't complain. Right. You know, because we, and we took it for granted. Right. And we got 2019 for most people was a pretty good year. Yeah. You know, we were, we were cranking and firing on all cylinders and it was great. And now when you look back, you're like, you know, that one thing that was bugging me <laughs> doesn't bug you anymore. No, not such a big deal. <laughs> For sure. Um, speaking of family, you're, yes. you're married. I am yep. my husband, Mark. How long have you guys been together? Uh, we'll be married 18 years in May. Wow. That's awesome. actually high school sweethearts. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And you're a mom also. <laughs> I am. I have two lovely daughters. Two girls. And how old are they? Um, Lily is 16, just bought her first car, got her license, and Ella is 15. Awesome. So 15 and 16. How are they, how's your family holding up with all of this in 2020? Actually, not, not bad. Um, My husband works for the USDA, so he has been considered an essential employee and has gone to work every day. Nothing's really changed on his end. Um, When school was shut down initially, my kids were working at the local sugar shack maple farm so that just opened up more time for them to go work Uh, my youngest daughter made a pitch of why this is a great time to get another puppy and we did that (laughs) i like in may yeah in may um my kids now in new york go to school two days a week they work two days a week at the local greenhouse and do school in the evening and then um school on wednesdays we still have uh, animals in the barn that the girls raised for shows and things that didn't happen. Um, that actually, the animals in the barn helped keep things pretty normal for us. There was still a reason to get up, still a reason to go work with the animals. Um, it kept things in perspective. It also taught my girls and reminded me that when you work with the animals, things are not predictable. You're not able to control every situation. And so we're in the field of agriculture because we're good agriculturalists and we don't give up. 
And so just because show's canceled doesn't mean you get rid of the animals and say, we're done. You finish it out. And so it's been, my kids are good. You know, we're all good, but they really would like to go back to school every day. Oh yeah. My son's Nate is the same way. He's um, he's gotten into a parks and rec program. I guess they have a handful of schools that have a very limited capacity where they can have like 20 or 30 kids on campus and they spread them out through the cafeteria and the gym. So they, and they get on their Chromebooks to do school and then, but they still get some re- some recess time um, and get yeah. to kind of go play and be kids. But it's really tough on the kids right now. You know, my, uh, my wife from when she was teaching one of her students, it was their senior year in May and didn't get to walk, didn't get to cross that stage and hear that music playing and that, I think it's easy for us as adults to look at our world, you know, and our, our business is disrupted. Our fairs are canceled. And, but we got to make sure we pay attention to the kids too. Cause I, you know, Nate at nine years old, he's super resilient. He, he just adjusts and he'll bounce right back, but you can't give a graduation back. And that's tough for these well, kids. It is. And, and to your point, they are resilient. And there are times that I looked at my kids and went, Hmm. I can learn something here. For example, when school started just two two days a week, my daughters weren't in yet, but they heard from their classmates how it went. And my youngest daughter said, well, it doesn't sound like school went too good the first two days this this week. And I said, oh yeah, why is that? She goes, you know what, mom? It's the kids who won't give anything a chance. It's going to be different, but at least we get to go. And so I'm like, you know, that is a really good attitude to have. Um, but then I hear stories of other kids who are really social and now maybe they're half of the class because my, my kid's school is broken in half. So half the kids go on Monday and Tuesday, half go on Thursday, Friday. And in this kid's case, their friends weren't in their half and now sports are canceled. And when you're 15, everything revolves around friends and sports yep. for some kids. And so they start to think, why should I care about anything? Myself, my life, my family, my anything, where we as adults have a better set of tools in our toolbox to go, okay, it's for right now. We can get through this part. Kids don't have that. you know. In some cases, they are more resilient, but in other cases, they don't have the tools in the toolbox to realize that in the grand scheme of things, they're going to be okay. Yeah. I, I, one thing that I've learned in all this is I have a new respect for people who are introverts that get put in social situations. Cause I used to see grown up friends and is that you? I, I, I used to see people oh, all the way <laughs> introverted go to church youth group or have to go to the school dance. And it was painful to watch them because you could see how uncomfortable they were. And I was always like, but just relax, just have fun. And now the tables turn. And for those of us like me who are social, are told stay in your house. And it's after, I don't think I went three or four weeks. I don't think I made it a month before I was like, it physically hurt. Like there was pain in my chest that this, I need to, I need to hug somebody. I need to do a magic trick for somebody. I need to be out and be in a group. So I have definitely a newfound respect for people who are introverts. I will never, I'll never crack a joke at their expense again, ever. You know, it's kind of funny. I, uh, my brother-in-law and I were talking about it, who is extremely introverted. And I said, you know, for us introverts, this isn't a bad gig for right now. And 
and as and I will even even admit as time goes along you know we're built to be social and even though I draw my energy from quiet time and downtime and being alone I fully understand that there are people like my daughter or yourself that don't that need that energy from other people yeah and you know I think for me the biggest thing is man I would, I really miss my fair friends you know, the people that we only get to see at conferences or conventions or at other fairs that we didn't get to see this past year. It yeah. will be probably a two full years before we see some of the f- folks that we would see every year. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of tough. It is. It's been, yeah. it's been brutal. I, I have a feeling it, I, next time we have IEFE when it's officially like we're back, we're good to go. And it, it mm-hmm. might not be next year. It might be another year or two. I'm going to buy a booth and instead of it promoting conjure, it's just going to be like, come hug me, come high five me, <laughs> come talk to me for five minutes. Right. <laughs> Tell me how you're doing. It's funny. I had a friend and like I said, I'm an introvert and I'm not a big hugger, but I had a young lady come give me a hug and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're like my first official real hug. And that would have never, you know, and she kind of looked at me, I'm like, serious outside of my family you're the first person i've hugged yeah yeah and all of a sudden even for the introvert you're like that actually felt kind of nice to have human contact again if you have a booth i'll come give you a hug robert okay i'm gonna hold you to that i will hold you to that i won't even talk to you and try to to book a show i'll just be like come give me a hug give me a high five that's all i want so listen, uh, we're about out of time. I'm glad you could be on the show today. Everybody who comes on the show, we're doing kind of a fun little speed round of questions. And then okay. again, these questions, you didn't see them ahead of time, these yeah. speed round questions. So we will see what you have to say. So I'll ask you answer quickly. Okay. First question, funnel cake or fried Oreos? Oh, fried Oreos. Delicious. What's your favorite thing about the fair? Uh, the egg, the animals. Ag side. Excellent. Now, if I were to open your music player on your phone right now, which song has been played the most? Oh, probably something by Eric Church or George Strait. Eric Church or George Strait. All right. We got a little country action going on. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to interrupt the questions just for a second. Do you know who Cafe Anderson is? No. He's a country artist. You need to look him up on iTunes. He's okay. fabulous. And he's got a Netflix series coming out on November 6th. It's called Country Ever After. It's a real oh, cool. by Mark Burnett. He's a big player in the fair industry. He's out of California, so mostly like Western fairs in Texas and whatnot. Right. But you should check him out. You'll awesome. Love if you like I'll George, check it out. you'll love his music. Uh, continuing. First celebrity crush. Uh, Luke Perry. Luke Perry, 90210 days. God bless us. Yeah, and and eight seconds, the movie Eight Seconds. Oh, I forgot he was in that one. Yeah. So you being the yeah. rodeo person, that's all, all you. Coffee, coffee or tea? Oh, tea all the way. Don't drink coffee. Oh, excellent. You and I are on the same boat there. What kind of tea do you yes. drink? Yes, just black tea. Just... I drink some, some herbal chamomile at night. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. And last question. You can go back. It's a presidential election year, so I'm asking this one a lot. You can go back in time and meet one president of the United States. Which one do you meet? Reagan. You go meet Reagan. I've heard so many great things about how he treated people. Interesting. So far, yeah. a lot of people have picked Lincoln, which I think is the safe yeah. answer. Yeah. But Reagan, Reagan's yeah. interesting. For me, and I mentioned this um, when I was talking with another guest, I would want to go meet Madison. 
And why medicine? He is my favorite president. Um, he also authored the constitution and I'd like to go tell him, Hey man, they're trying to mess with this 200 years, <laughs> 200, a little over 200 years from now, we're all going to be in a huge fight over what this clause means. Could you clarify that for us? So we quit <laughs> fighting over it. Like what exactly did you mean by a well-regulated militia? Could you please clarify? <laughs> So That's listen, awesome. uh, if people want to reach out and get in touch with you and uh, network or powwow over all things fair, where can they do that? Uh, give me a call at the office, 716-649-3900. Uh, my email, jayunderberg at ecfair.org, Facebook. Look me up. Happy to chat. She's all over the place. And if you're in the fair industry, she will be the one that when you go to click on her profile says you have 700 mutual friends because that's just who <laughs> she is in the industry. She knows everybody. <laughs> Uh, Jessica, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Unfortunately, we won't get to see each other in San Antonio, but I hope you and your family have a safe holiday season and we wish you the best. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having me. You got it. Thanks for coming on. Yep. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.